ahead and grab a Bible or a Bible app. Uh, if you've got a Bible app on your phone, if you're at home, you have a Bible with you. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 again today. Hebrews chapter 12. And our passage is actually Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Uh, but we really, uh, we, we need to understand today's passage, and this is true every week, we need to understand our passage in the context of, of what came before and, and what's coming after, and really in the context of, of this whole section of the letter and the whole letter itself, the letter of Hebrews, but specifically we need to understand today's passage in light of what Kevin preached about last week when he covered the beginning of chapter 12. He covered the first three verses, and we're going to get some overlap here today. But basically, the readers of Hebrews, the readers of this letter in the first century, they were suffering persecution for their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. They were, it was not easy for them to put their faith in Jesus Christ and follow Him. So in chapter 11, the author exhorts them and encourages them by reminding them of this great cloud of witnesses, these saints of old who suffered also for their faith. And then he goes on in in the first part of chapter 12 that Kevin covered last week to then exalt Christ as the ultimate example of of suffering and of faithful endurance in the midst of suffering. That's what we looked at in verses 1 and 2. And now the author is going to address his reader's situation specifically, what they were facing in that church in the first century. He's going to address that by helping them to see their own suffering that they were facing day in and day out in the light of God's love and in the light of God's purposes. That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, As some of you guys know, I've been quarantining with my two sons at Stacy's parents' house uh, in West Austin, and uh, we've been doing this now for over a week and a half, I guess. Um, But we're taking care of the house while we're there, and I was mowing the yard the other day, and I guess I'm running low on sermon illustrations because I've been hanging out in a house with my boys, and I can only pick on them so much with these illustrations. But I was mowing their front yard, and, uh, and something caught my attention as I was mowing uh, that it immediately gave me pause. I actually stopped the lawnmower so I could get out my phone to take a picture, and I actually have a photo of what I saw. Uh, this is it right here. Uh, you're, you're wondering what that is, I know, and I actually had to do some research to figure out what that is. This is, this is the PVC piping that's attached to their sewage grinder pump. Now, what is a sewage grinder pump? It's not a sump pump. It's not a sewage ejector pump. It is a sewage grinder pump, and this is the PVC piping for the raw sewage that goes into this pump. In fact, what this sewage you know what a sewage grinder pump is. So they, they are uh, very much below the level of the street. What the sewage grinder pump does, it's got a motor in it, and it pressurizes. It, first of all, it churns everything up, and then it sends it up like vertical, 20-foot vertical, up to the street level, and deposits it in the main sewage line at the street. That's, that's why we have these. Whoever invented them, God bless them, uh, because I don't know what you would do otherwise, other than just have everything go downhill, which would not be so much fun. But I saw this, and, uh, and that's not really what caught my attention, this little device here. What caught my attention, what I noticed as I was mowing, was there's this beautiful tomato plant growing right out and around this, this sewage grinder pump. And it had these really pretty 
uh, red tomato, cherry tomatoes. It really looked beautiful, but it was kind of ironic, don't you think? So I, I figured out that what happened was is that during the great ice apocalypse of 2021, the motor to the sewage grinder pump, which takes all the stuff from the kitchen and the bathrooms, the motor went out during the ice apocalypse and all of everything backed up into the front yard, the side yard right there. Uh, and somehow in those hostile conditions, a lone tomato seed Somehow, I imagine it came from the disposal in the kitchen, but this lone tomato seed somehow managed to lie dormant in this fertile soil until the spring conditions brought about growth and ultimately produced the fruit of cherry tomatoes, about a dozen of them hanging on the vine. And this reminded me of something that I hope will stick with you today. What it reminded me is that fruit can grow in the unlikeliest of places. But then again, you know, maybe a well-fertilized yard is the perfect place to grow tomato plants at the end of the day. Guys, today's passage is all about suffering. Today's passage is all about all kinds of suffering. But when we look at our suffering as we're experiencing it especially, but even in retrospect, what do we think about suffering? We fall victim to this mentality that nothing good could ever come out of our suffering. And please hear me on the front end of this sermon. I am not saying that the suffering we face is good and we should just love it, okay? Scripture's clear that we do grieve and we are sorrowed by the things that we face in this life, the terrible, sometimes terrible things that we face. But, but the point is, is that we get caught up in our suffering and we think that nothing good could ever come out of these circumstances. But folks, that's not the case. Scripture teaches us that suffering can always produce spiritual fruit in and through our lives. That's the big idea for today. Suffering can always lead to spiritual fruit in and through our lives. Like other passages in the New Testament that we've seen, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11, it lays out a process of spiritual growth that begins in the midst of suffering and it ends with spiritual fruitfulness. And I want to consider, before we get going with that passage, I want to think about three other passages that you might have heard before in the New Testament that are very similar. First of all, I want to read you James chapter 1 verses 2-4. through four. This is how James starts his letter. He says, Consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want to read you Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Paul writes, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. That is our trials, our hardships, our difficulties. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character brings about hope. And hope, folks, does not disappoint because, he writes, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
Folks, I want to I want to read you one more. First Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. These are three different New Testament authors writing on this subject. Peter writes this in in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says to again suffering saints, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ so having read those three new testament authors let's jump in our passage for today We're going to see this similar process in today's passage, and we're going to consider each of the following steps in turn. We're going to look at suffering, where we begin this passage. We're going to look at endurance. You can't endure without suffering in and through which to endure. Then we're going to look at discipline and and maturity, and those go hand in hand, but we're going to look at those steps in in those links in this chain. And then finally, we're going to look at fruit, fruitfulness. So the first link in this chain is suffering. And folks, suffering is just simply assumed in verses 3 and 4. Look at that with me. The author, the pastor, writes, For consider him, and he's referring back to Jesus. He says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. That phrase, striving against sin, it, it primarily in this context has in view persecution. Being persecuted, being mistreated, facing difficulties because of our choice to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord. That's primarily what it has in view, but it can also contain this idea of just striving against our own sinful nature and and the temptations that we face in this fallen world, particularly as we face difficulties and trials. But it's probably echoing what Jesus also faced right here in the context when, when we looked at last week with Kevin that Jesus faced hostility by sinners against himself. You see how he was rejected by the world. That's definitely in view here. But unlike Jesus, these suffering saints in this church, these Jewish background believers, they were suffering, but they had not yet come to the point of being tortured or or put to death for their faith. They had not yet come to the point of blood, as the author puts it. But all the same, they were suffering, guys. They had it very hard. And the author seems to suggest that violence could be just around the corner for these saints. And we know from church history that there was plenty of it right around the corner for the whole church. Back in chapter 10, and again, this this, uh, is written in the context of what we read back in chapter 10, but think about what they're already facing at this church, these Jewish background believers. In chapter 10, starting in verse 32, the author says, he's, he's telling them, but remember the former days, he says, when after being enlightened, after receiving the light of the gospel... You endured a great conflict of sufferings. Remember that. Partly by being made a a public spectacle. That's where we get the uh, word for theater. Uh, But they were made a public spectacle 
through reproaches and tribulations, he says, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. They saw other people facing difficulties and hardships, and they came right alongside them, right alongside them in their suffering as well. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Why? Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an enduring one, a lasting one. So we have this this seed of faith, folks. As as Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, whether it was 2,000 years ago or whether it was two weeks ago, we have a seed of faith that gets planted in this fallen world in the midst of the soil of suffering. I don't know how else to say it. It gets planted in the midst of a, of a, a failed sewage grinder pump motor and a backflow into a side yard. That, that's what our seed of faith gets planted into in this life because we do face pain and sickness and death and sorrow and grief and brokenness and relational conflict and all of it. But that seed of faith goes right into those circumstances. And as Kevin pointed out last week, the only hope that these believers had, the only hope that we have of not growing weary or, or fainting or losing heart, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, was to what? It's to keep fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we not grow weary and lose heart? Simply put, we stay focused on Jesus Christ our Lord. And this brings us to the second link in our chain, which is endurance. Something we all need, right? And we see that word several times in the context of our passage. Really, we see that word a whole bunch in the letter to the Hebrews. That same word for endurance or enduring. It means to maintain a belief or a course of action in the face of opposition. That's what it means to endure, to maintain a belief or a course of action in the face of opposition. That seed of faith in the soil of suffering grows through endurance. The author reminds us that Christ endured suffering, terrible suffering, even unto death on a Roman cross. He endured suffering and he remained faithful to his heavenly Father, to God the Father. And therefore, Christians too can endure just like Jesus Christ did through the power of the Holy Spirit as we keep our eyes fixed on Him. The third link in our chain is discipline. And this is one we really need to talk about. This is at the heart of what we're seeing in our passage today. And I want you to notice how the repetition of endurance, enduring, endure, endurance, it really, in in verses 1 through 3, it gives way in verses uh, 5 through 11 to this repetition of discipline. So we see endure, endure, endure. Now we see discipline, discipline, discipline in 5 through 11. But I want you to look just briefly at at verse 7. The first part of verse 7, the author links these two ideas, these ideas of endurance and and, uh, discipline. And he says, "It it is for discipline that you endure. That's a, that's a funny phrase, isn't it? It is for discipline that you endure. And, and this phrase, there, there's, um, 
a little bit of debate on, on how to rightly uh, interpret the, the, the Greek words here, the Greek phrase here. Uh, but there, it's a subtle difference. It's not a big deal. But listen, it can either be interpreted as it is for discipline that you endure. In other words, uh, that's, that's the purpose that you're enduring. Or it can, it can look to cause. It is because of discipline that you are enduring. Discipline is the cause of our ability to endure. Either statement is theologically true in a Christian worldview, okay? We could go find passages in the scriptures that, that support both. The, the purpose of endurance is discipline, and discipline is the reason that we can endure through suffering in this life. But we really need to unpack this word discipline, because if you didn't get kind of that shiver when you heard that word, then maybe you weren't paying attention. Discipline, 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 discipline on Zoom, discipline. What do we immediately think of? Kids, what do we immediately think of when we hear the word discipline? Just say it real loud. Consequences, punishment. That's immediately where our our heart and mind goes when we hear this word discipline. This is why we need to dig into the context and and look at the meaning of what's happening here instead of just giving it our first first blush interpretation based on our, our, our circumstances, all right? Biblically speaking, when they use this word discipline, it, it, in, it's, it's, it's much broader than what we think of. So it does involve corrective discipline, uh, punishment, uh, like, like I would do with my kids if they acted the fool somewhere and did something that, you know, foolish or something. Uh, they would be punished. There would be corrective discipline because I don't want them to go chase a ball out into the street or whatever it is that they're doing. But the biblical concept of discipline, this Greek word that, that gets translated here, it also involves formative discipline. And you're thinking, what in the world is formative discipline? It really means, this word discipline means something like child training. Child training. And that's a much more encompassing uh, uh, phrase, at least in our thought. Child training. It includes everything a parent or a teacher would do to train up a child. Uh, instruction, correction, guidance, re- rebuke and reproof, direction, all these things go into child training, discipline, okay? So discipline is really at the heart of our passage today. If we miss what discipline means, we're going to miss what the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to convey to us. Without discipline, endurance becomes either purposeless on the one hand or absolutely impossible on the other. Please don't miss that. If you don't have the discipline of God, then your endurance either becomes impossible or purposeless, or both. And when we experience discipline, this is one of the most beautiful facets of this passage, is that when we experience the discipline of a loving Heavenly Father, which we're going to talk about, it actually is evidence, it's proof, it reveals that we have a loving Heavenly Father who is at work in our suffering, in our circumstances, helping us to endure faithfully and using those circumstances and that suffering to mold our character so that we would become more like Him. The author makes this point 
by, by pulling in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. He says, and, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. They would have known Proverbs chapter 3. They would have gone, yeah, okay, I know that one. They, know, they knew the Old Testament backward and forward. So he says, you've forgotten this exhortation uh, in Proverbs chapter 3, which is addressed to you as sons and daughters, as children. It says, my son, this is from the perspective of the writer here, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. The, the child training of the Lord, if you will, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is, it is for discipline that we endure. God deals with us as, as his sons and daughters. It says, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? What child is running around out there who's not being disciplined by their supposedly loving parents? That's the point he's making. We understand that point. He says, but if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So the concept of God's discipline in Proverbs 3 that he's pulling in here, again, it includes both formative and corrective discipline. But the author of Hebrews is really going to hone in on, for his purposes, this formative aspect, this uh, training, equipping, instruction, guidance, and so on. The, the very presence of a process of discipline in our lives proves our adoption as God's sons and daughters. That's the point he's making here. The fourth link in our chain is maturity. Let's talk about maturity. This is why our Heavenly Father disciplines us. Going back to the illustration that the author just used, this is why we discipline our children for maturity. We don't want them flapping around in some never-ending adolescence and, you know, into their late, you know, middle, middle age years. I mean, who wants that, right? We want our kids to mature and grow up into mature adulthood. And for our family, mature uh, followers of Jesus Christ, men and women, godly men and women, okay? This is why our Heavenly Father disciplines us. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. What he's saying is, if if a kid's not going to be disciplined by their father, they're not going to respect their father. They're not going to see that their father actually cares about them. They're going to they're going to have a disrespectful attitude. So he's saying, you know, we had earthly fathers of discipline, and we respected them for that. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10, For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Folks, spiritual maturity means holiness, godliness, being set apart for for God's holy purposes. This takes us all the way back to Hebrews chapter 2. And I want to pull this in because that seems so long ago in the distant past. But let me go back to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, because I think there's a parallel here in the argument of the author of Hebrews. Listen to Hebrews 2. Starting verse 10, the author writes, 
He's talking about Jesus. And he says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, talking about God, in bringing many sons to glory. Sons and daughters, adopted heirs, co-heirs with Christ, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. That's Jesus Christ. He was perfected through sufferings. And then in verse 11 it says, For both he who sanctifies, he who sets us apart, he who makes us holy, and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call us brothers, brothers and sisters. So Christians are, in this, in this passage, we are the many sons and daughters being brought to glory. That's why Jesus Christ came to the earth. That's, that's the reason for the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension into heaven, his, his high priestly ministry on our behalf in the presence of God the Father. It's because he's bringing sons and daughters, many sons and daughters to glory through the work of Jesus, the author of salvation. And we are also those who are being sanctified. And that word sanctified has the same root as the word for holiness. It's the idea of being made holy. Uh, it's that God is, is making us holy. He's preparing us for glory. And the way he accomplishes this through this life is how? Through suffering. As we faithfully endure in our suffering, he disciplines us in the midst of that. He, he forms our character in the midst of that. And the fifth and final link is fruit. Uh, and this is really the jewel at the end of this chain. Uh, it's the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I love that phrase. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Look at verse 11. It's our last verse. It says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Now listen to this. Yet to those who have been trained by it, to those who have been trained by this process of discipline in the midst of our faithful endurance, in the midst of our suffering, for those who have been trained by it afterwards, later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That, that first clause feels a little understated, doesn't it? I mean, when you hear that, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. I don't know what you're going through this week, but I'm kind of thinking, man, maybe that was a little understated, author of Hebrews, you know? But, but, but wait a second, let's go back to those passages we looked at at the beginning and, and see what is the common thread. In James 1, what did we read? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance through which we may be perfected and completed, lacking in nothing. In Romans 5, what did we read? We also exult in our, in our what? In our tribulations. We exult in them. Why? Because we know that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven hope, uh, uh, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. We can see this life in, in the light of eternity, that eternal weight of glory that Paul talks about. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, we read, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, 
If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Why? Why can we greatly rejoice? Because the proof of our faith, being more precious than gold, he says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back to say, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the kingdom. Enter into the inheritance that has been prepared for you. So now let's consider this passage in Hebrews. In verse 11, we read that discipline seems sorrowful in the moment, but when we are trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The joy of discipline, and please hear me on this so you don't walk away confused and frustrated. Folks, the joy that they're talking about, these four different New Testament authors, it's not to be found in a particular painful moment. We're not masochists. We don't, we don't take joy in the pain in the moment itself, but rather in a lifelong process of loving discipline that produces in us a harvest of peace and righteousness that can be enjoyed both today. Can we enjoy the fruit of, of peace and righteousness in our lives today? You bet. Do we need peace right now in this crazy world we live in? You bet we do. And as we live rightly, according to God's standards, righteously, is there blessing in that? Absolutely. So yes, we can enjoy that fruit today, but we can also enjoy permanent peace and righteousness that will characterize our lives for the rest of eternity. And that process is happening right now to forge that. We tend to think about noth- that nothing good can come out of our suffering, certainly in, the, in, the, in those dark nights of the soul. But suffering can always produce spiritual fruit in our lives. I, I came up with that phrase, suffering can always produce spiritual fruit. <laughs> Earlier this week as I was working on the sermon, I was like, oh, that's, that's going to be the big idea, right? And I wrote it down and like, Three and a half minutes later, my phone rings, and it's Stacy calling uh, to tell me that uh, she has tested positive for COVID-19. She's fully vaccinated. She got a breakthrough infection. She was calling to tell me that, literally minutes after I wrote that down. Our daughter, Hannah, as a lot of y'all know, already had COVID. Uh, and so Stacy, again, who is fully vaccinated, was staying with her at our house to care for her during those 10 days of isolation. Again, like I said earlier, me and the boys went to my in-law's house. uh, And so she stayed there. Uh, We were supposed to come back home. This started on Wednesday two weeks ago. And we were supposed to come home this past Thursday to be with Stacy and Hannah because their 10-day clock was running out. Uh, And and that's when, you know, I get this this call from Stacy. So we had to reset the clock. And now uh, we're going to have to wait until... I guess Thursday morning uh, to to see them again, to be with them, uh, to be physically present. Do I enjoy that? I don't enjoy that. Am I joyful? Yeah. When I remember what we're talking about today. When I'm in God's Word. When I'm seeing God's hand at work in the midst of this circumstance. But do I just love being isolated from my, my wife and daughter? No, I do not. Okay? 
Uh, I can I can look at you eyeball to eyeball and tell you that. When you finally nail down a big idea for your sermon, by the way, this is how preaching works. If you ever feel the call to a preaching ministry, uh, when you come up with a big idea and you write it down and it's something like suffering can always produce fruit, and then three and a half minutes later you get a call and find out that your wife has had a breakthrough infection of COVID-19 and that you're going to have to reset the clock. I mean, it's just so ironic. You can't help but to see God right in the midst of that circumstance, okay? At least for me. That was my first thought is, God, you're right here with me, aren't you? You know? Yeah, of course he is, right? He was there inspiring, you know, the, the sermon content, helping me work through my understanding of the passage. And he was right there knowing that she had already gotten her test results. He was right there in the middle of all of it, guys. And he has been with us as we've endured the difficulty of navigating COVID craziness. You guys are navigating COVID craziness, so please listen up. He is in the middle of it with us. He's right there with us. In fact, he indwells us through his Holy Spirit. And, and remember what discipline means. And I will tell you this about our circumstances. He has been disciplining us through this experience, not punishing us. He has been disciplining us, training and equipping and instructing us in holy living, forging our character so that we would have hope and peace and joy and be Christ-like. God has been teaching me how to be more prayerful and more dependent and more humble-hearted by putting me in a place of, of limitation and frustration. Amen? Right? You're up against a wall. And you know what that does? That, that gives us an opportunity to learn prayerful dependence and humility before the Lord. He's been showing me the hidden idols of my heart with well-timed lessons in our prayer study. He, he, just, he just took me through. He, he went to school. He took me to school. I'll put it that way. With uh, our prayer study guide in the prayers of Asa, the prayers of David. That was all happening. Those are my daily devotionals in the midst of all this. He was teaching me about hidden idols. Idols of comfort. Idols of control. All sorts of things. I wish I could say that I'm just this fast learner that's just, you know, like the Doogie Hauser of spiritual growth and development. Guys, I'm not. There's been a ton of remedial education in uh, the Lord's child training for me. But nevertheless, I do feel like I'm experiencing spiritual growth, but only because God is helping me to endure this suffering and He's using it to make me, to make our family, folks, to make our church family more and more like Jesus Christ. So whatever you are facing today, every one of you is facing some difficulty, some hardship, some trial, some tribulation. Everybody on Zoom, you're facing these things too. Whatever it is, whether it makes you feel sorrowful and grief-stricken, whether it causes frustration and anger, whatever it is, you need to know this morning that it can also produce spiritual growth and spiritual fruitfulness in your life. It can produce holiness and righteousness and peace in your life. But we must be willing to see these circumstances through the eyes of faith. Believing that our Heavenly Father is lovingly disciplining us in the midst of what we're going through and that it is all happening under the auspices, under the canopy of our discipleship 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're having marital struggles, do you think being isolated from your wife for two weeks makes it easier to communicate? It does not, okay? If you're having marital struggles, if you're unsure about your direction in life, especially with all this stuff going on around us, churning around us all the time, if you're feeling pressure to abandon your biblical beliefs, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the fear of death or disease, whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, just remember this. God is right there in the midst of those circumstances with you. And through faithful endurance and through God's loving discipline in your life, you will share in His holiness and He will produce a harvest in your life of peace and righteousness through the power of His indwelling Holy Spirit. I want to close with something I read in the Denison Report the other day. It's an email I get that just kind of See, it looks at, at the news through biblical worldview. If we don't need that, I don't know what we need. But it's called the Denison Report. Uh, Dr. Jim Denison, who's up in Dallas, he was quoting a prayer of a Scottish minister named John Bailey. I don't know how long ago this was, but it's greatness. He quotes this prayer from the Scottish minister, and this prayer fits so well with today's passage, I wanted to close with it. This minister says, he prays this. He says, teach me, O God, to use all the circumstances of my life today to nurture the fruits of the Spirit rather than the fruits of sin. What are the fruits of sin? All that garbage, hatred, frustration, hopelessness, brokenness, anger, outbursts, idolatry, all this stuff. He says, help me to use all of my circumstances today to nurture, nurture the fruits of the Spirit rather than those fruits. And then he goes on to point some out. He says, let me use disappointment as material for patience. Let me use success as material for thankfulness. Let me use anxiety. Does anyone have anxiety? Let me use anxiety, he prays, as material for perseverance. Let me use danger as material for courage. Let me use criticism as material for learning. Let me use praise as material for humility. Let me use pleasures as material for self-control. And then he ends it, let me use pain as material for endurance. And friends, that is my prayer for that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for my family. That's my prayer for our church family. That's my prayer for everybody joining us on Zoom today, whoever you are. That is my prayer for you. Uh, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Next week, we're going to look at the, the next six verses in chapter 12, which teach how to respond to suffering and this discipline of our loving Heavenly Father, but it also shows us how not to respond. So we're going to look at that next week.